Thanks to Cheryl and the team this morning. Uh, they've brought us to a place where we can have our hearts and minds set on God. How about we pray? Uh, I want to pray for a couple of folks that are not with us today. They're not well and uh, they have asked us to pray. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you that uh, when we pray, we don't just speak into the air. We're talking with you, our Heavenly Father. We thank you that we can come to you anytime about anything and that you'd love to hear us uh, open our hearts and minds to you. So Lord, we pray today for those that are joining us on Zoom because they can't be here for some reason or other. We pray especially for those who are not well. Lord, uh, we lift up Lee before you with the breathing, breathing difficulties facing and others, Father, who are struggling with health issues. Some are struggling with um, uh, family issues and some are struggling with work issues. Lord, you know each one intimately more than what we do. But we know that uh, your, your word tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to, to weep with those who are grieving. So, Lord, we take that seriously and we commit our friends, our brothers and sisters to you this morning and ask that in, a, in, in some supernatural way they will know that you are with them and, Father, they will know your peace in the midst of difficult situations. So, Father, we bring them before you and we ask that you'll bless them in ways that they never imagined. And, Lord, we... We pray too as we open your word, the scriptures, that uh, they are real, they are true, they are uh, uh, living, your living word, they're for us today to live by. We pray that you'll give us understanding, but more than that, Father, we pray that you'll give us motivation and, uh, and energy to live out what you tell us to. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you. I want to say thank you to Rolf for, for preaching last week while Cheryl and I were uh, on holidays and... Um, just if you are interested, the train ride was great. It was great fun. Uh, got to sleep a lot and read a few books along the way. So this morning we're continuing on in our journey through the book of Galatians. And certainly the theme that we have in the life of the church this year is set free in 23, what it means to discover our freedom in Christ and then to help other people to discover that freedom in Christ as well because so many people in our world are, are, are caught up in bondage to something or other whether it be uh, lifestyle choices, whether it be um, uh, poor decisions that are made in business, whether it be uh, struggles in families. So we know that freedom in Christ doesn't mean freedom from pain or suffering, does it? It doesn't mean uh, freedom from going through those awful times. What it does mean is that we can experience Christ and knowing him personally even during the difficult times. And that's what it means to have freedom in Christ, that we're not into any sort of bondage because of who Christ is. So we're picking up in uh, Galatians chapter 4 today. If you've got your Bibles there, you might like to turn to them. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 20. I will have the words on the screen in a moment. But just a little bit of background for our visitors and so good to have visitors with us today. Uh, we've been journeying on this uh, study, if you like, through Galatians for a number of months now. And there's a real purpose for this book. We call it a book, but it's actually a letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul to the churches of Galatia, which are Macedonia, is that right? Thank you for those who have just been there. Um, and uh, those churches were churches that he actually founded as the uh, church planter, if you like, when he did his first missionary journey uh, that was supported by the churches in, uh, in, uh, in Israel, the Christians in Israel. So he, he visited them, but then he wrote them this letter because some things were happening in the life of the church there 
that he wasn't really happy about. They were listening to some poor teaching. They were listening to some confusing teaching and he wanted to address that. And so he wrote this letter to the Galatians to remind them of what real freedom in Christ means. Not to be caught up in rules and regulations and and other stuff that people are trying to bring into the life of the church. And so he wrote this letter. So what we have in the Bible is uh, chapters and verses, but they are just there to help us to find the right place rather than having to read the whole letter from the beginning again. But as Paul wrote this letter, he had a specific uh, strategy in communicating with the Galatian churches and the believers in those churches. And I mentioned this once before. He, all right, where are we going? He talked about, well, there was three sections in his letter, if you like. There's the biography, the first two chapters. There's six chapters in, in Ephesians, as we have it. There's the theology and the ethics. So in the biography, he was writing to say to them, this is... This is why I have authority to write this letter to you. One, I taught you about Jesus in the first place. So that's part of the authority I have. Secondly, I have had an encounter with Jesus myself and he taught me all these things. So I'm just passing them on to you. So that was his, his authority, if you like, his biography in writing this letter. We're into that section where he's talking about the theology and, and what happened was there were some people that had come from uh, Israel the, they, were, they were Christians, they certainly believed in Jesus rather than being caught up in the uh, Jewish faith. But what happened was they were bringing some of their Jewish faith background with all its rules and regulations and saying to the new Christians in Galatia, you must follow these rules as well. So it's becoming a very legalistic practice. And so Paul wrote to say, and, and the people, the, the believers in Galatia, many of whom were not Jewish background but were Gentile background, non-Jews, they were getting confused. They were getting uh, stressed out by saying, oh, do we have to be circumcised? And for, pe- for people who hadn't been circumcised, that would stress me out, I think, to have to be circumcised at a later date. Anyhow, they were not, that was just one of the things. And so Paul was saying, this is wrong. You shouldn't listen to those people. He called them Judaizers because they were, yes, they were believers in Jesus, but they were, they're trying to get these rules and this legalistic aspect into the church. And so he spoke about this theology. And we're in that section today. I did forewarn people a couple of weeks ago that this could be one of those times when you need to get your grey matter working a lot harder. And certainly some of the things that Paul writes from a theological perspective, you do need to chew on it for a while and make it your own uh, or find your own understanding with it. And then the last part of the... Of the um, letter to the, to the Galatians is how you put these truths into practice in the right way. Just like you did right at the beginning, Paul says. You need to live out these truths. And so I've titled that area Ethics. So here we go. We're into this passage and I've called it, I'll just go back one, an appeal of love. So Paul, even though he wants to be very direct in what he's saying to the Galatians, He's doing it on the basis of his love for them as the people that he first shared the gospel with, as the people that he saw lives changed and and renewed by faith in Christ. This is the perspective he's coming from. Not from uh, someone uh, Bible bashing them as it were, not from someone who was hitting them with a stick saying, you've got it wrong, you know, get get your act together. He's saying it from a spiritual father's heart if you like. That was the approach that he was coming from. So we're going to pick up on at verse 8 
And I'm just going to look at it one verse at a time. It won't be uh, too long this morning. And this is what uh, Paul writes. He says, Formerly, to the Galatian believers, remember, formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. So prior to the Galatian believers coming to faith in Jesus, they were caught up in the um, Greek, the Roman worship of multi-god system. That was their situation. I think Acts 14 verses 11 to 13. That's the whole passage. I'm going to skip across that because we're coming back to it later. Okay. So this is where we're going this morning. They were relapsing into bondage of that previous life. There was a real relationship that they'd based their faith on and Paul was saying, this is how you live out the real religion that you should know. That's where we're going this morning. He said, you didn't know that you were, you, you, were, you were slaves by nature to those who are not God. Acts 14, verse 11 to 13, and uh, this is written by Dr. Luke, the historian, about what happened in that area. And verse 11 says, When the crowd saw that Paul had done what they had done, and he'd just seen these miraculous healings happen, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. What was their background? Multi-gods. Barnabas, Paul's companion, they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So the the Galatian people, not yet believers, thought that the gods had come into their midst. And what did they try and do? The verses go on. The priest of Zeus, whose temple has been outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas, thinking that they were the Greek gods. So that was in their thinking. So Paul, in his letter to them, says, you've turned back to that. You've given up the truth about Jesus and you've turned back to that. Now, in our, in our day of uh, diplomacy and um, uh, correct speech and all that sort of stuff, we tend to sometimes soften how urgent things are when we send somebody a message or give them a phone call. Paul was trying to be as direct as he could in this letter to them. He was trying to say, wake up, guys. You know, you, you, you've made a decision, you've been affected by others and you've walked away. You've actually walked back to nearly a stage that you, you used to be at. It goes on in verse 9 of Galatians and he says, but no, but now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Can you see what his argument was? They'd accepted the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and their lives had been wonderfully and dramatically changed, freed from this old system of multi-gods and yet now it's as if they're going back to that because they're listening to this false teaching and they're, they're, they're being encouraged to be enslaved by the rules once again. So you can see he had a real passion, a real burden for the people that he'd ministered to early in the piece and he was trying to show them, trying to get them to think through what they'd been listening to and what they'd actually given up on what they already knew. We've got to be careful. In our world today, uh, we hear some new teaching and it sounds really good. But if it's not what the Word of God says, even though it sounds good, we've got to say, oh, hold on a minute. Let's see what the Bible says. Uh, Cheryl and I had this conversation recently, where is she, with our grandson. Well, Cheryl had it with our grandson. 
who goes to another church elsewhere and um, uh, he, his comment was, um, I can do anything because I'm on the winning team, I'm on Christ's winning team. Trouble was he was being dishonest when he was doing something and the, the, uh, the discussion Cheryl had was, how can God be on your side if you're being dishonest about something? You know, you can't expect God to bless you if you're not being obedient to what he wants you to do and how he wants you to live. But there was some poor teaching involved there. And so, whether he took any notice of Cheryl or not is another thing. Sadly, in our world today, many people who call themselves Christians are influenced by other teaching without checking it out against God's word. And, and someone has actually called Christian people fickle. That means they're unpredictable in how they respond. And I think we've got to be careful for our own lives individually and then for each other's lives that we respond based on the word of God, not by, our, not by some new teaching that looks attractive. They have come to know this God and that word know is really important. It's that knowing intimately, knowing at a personal level. So they've come from a, believing in a multi-God system that that were all about punishment uh, because you didn't follow the rules, to an understanding of a personal God who, through Jesus going to the cross, invited anybody who believed in him to come into that personal, intimate relationship with the living God. They're saying, you forgot, Paul was writing, you forgot about that. You've forgotten, have you given up on that? You've known God in that personal and intimate way. How is it that you're turning back to those Fear from multi-gods principles or fear from the rules principles. This is his argument. I wonder, I wonder if Paul was at the same time amazed at their change of heart but also terribly dismayed at their change of heart. Did they not understand that they were, what they were doing? They were going back to religious slavery. In our, in our um, times, I would hear it called um, spiritual abuse, going back to a time when you must follow the rules, not out of relationship with God, but because somebody is saying you must follow the rules. And that's exactly what they were doing. They had this freedom in Christ, the freedom that God gives, and they turned back to, dare I say, sterile, sterile principles of religion. This is the, and that's what the Judaism, uh, Judaistic view was. You had to follow the law. It was a sterile thing. It wasn't based on relationship with the living God. Now, just to, I tried to, tried to find an illustration of how that works in our lives today. And I came across this one about uh, exercise. And all of us know how profitable exercise is, don't we? we? We know it up here. We don't necessarily know it by putting it in practice. Some do. And that's great. But there was a study done a few years ago by some uh, scientists at a a university in in, uh, Colorado in the States and they used mice as their experiments. And they had two groups of mice. One group was allowed to to run on exercise exercise wheels, you know, in a little cage whenever they liked. And the other group was made to run on those exercise wheels. So there's two groups of mice. And it was interesting to see that the group that ran on the exercise wheels from their own choice were actually healthier than those that were forced to do exercise. I'm so glad they did that study. (laughs) Because it means a matter of choice, doesn't it? 
But what they found was that the immune systems of those mice responded negatively in different ways. The ones that were forced to do the exercise had reduced levels of immunity against illness and disease, whereas the ones that chose to do it willingly, they were stronger and healthier. I wonder, spiritually speaking, if we choose willingly to draw close to our Heavenly Father, the one true living God, rather than just having to tick the boxes and follow the rules, I wonder if there's a a, a comparison there. I wonder if our spiritual life is healthier when we choose to draw close to God rather than we force to obey the rules. I think it is, by the way. I think it is. Verse 10 goes on. I was just talking about knowing God intimately. Verse 10 goes on to this. Paul writes, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. And that comes from the, the Jewish influence, the background. So these false teachers, if you like, were saying, no, no, you need to celebrate these festivals. You need to celebrate these moments because that's the heritage that we have. And Paul was saying, you're getting caught up in it. You're getting bound up in it again. If you don't do it, it makes you feel guilty, is the attitude that they were, the people were teaching there. And, and Paul wants to remind them that this is only the influence of the Judaizers, the, the false teachers that were there. Because in reality, we don't, they didn't need those festivals. They didn't need those uh, celebrations because their relationship was one of a personal and intimate one with the Lord Jesus. Paul was saying, you have to be careful. Because there was nothing wrong with those special days and events. There was nothing intrinsically evil about them. In fact, they honoured God, many of them, whether it was the Passover or, or some of the other events. But when people said you must do it this way to be acceptable to God, that was his issue. And I think we have that same thing happening today. We have to be careful that our, what we do and the response that we have to our, our God and the Lord Jesus Christ is, comes out of the relationship, not because somebody says you must tick the boxes. I have a concern about that. Paul says, you've, the next verse says, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Can you hear the pastor's heart there? Here he he spent time, lots of time, with those new believers, with those new churches. He taught them the gospel and now they were turning back to the rules and regulations. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. To me, that's just the pastor's heart. Struggling, grappling with, how do I encourage the people that I've uh, cared for to stay true to what they've been taught. How do I do that? Paul, Paul sensed in a way that they had lost their joy. I think the next verse says this. No, that's right. Paul sensed in a way that they had lost the joy of their salvation because of legalism, because of following the rules. I read this interesting article and it's made these points. Legalism can take away joy because it makes you feel guilty rather than feeling loved. Can you understand that? You didn't do it the right way. You didn't follow the rules. You feel bad about that. And that's guilt rather than feeling loved because of God's grace shown to you. Secondly, legalism produces self-hatred rather than humility. And that self-hatred says things like, I'm not good enough. You know, I can't meet the standards. Rather than being humble and saying, yep, 
I need to grow a little bit more, I need to do more. The third thing that legalism does is it stresses performance over relationship. And uh, I'm so glad that I was influenced in my early Christian life by some great pastors who uh, gave me opportunities to do things like preach or lead in worship. And, uh, but whenever I didn't do it very well, they, they were uh, kind enough and generous enough to come alongside me and say, let's look at, at how you can do it better next time. Uh, even though you didn't tick all the right boxes and your performance, performance wasn't that good, it really matters about your willingness to serve. So it matters about relationship rather than performance. And also legalism points out how, how far short we fall rather than how far we've come. And uh, that's the problem that Paul was facing with these people that were coming up and saying, you need to follow the rules, you need to do the Jewish thing rather than trust and faith alone in Christ, which is what he taught them. Verse 16 goes on to say, oh, where are we? Oh, we'll read this one, verse 12. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You've done me no wrong. And, and Paul was saying, see, I used to be caught up in this whole Judaism background. That's, that was his life, that was his heritage. But once he had an encounter with Jesus Christ and put his faith in Jesus Christ, his whole life had changed, not because he was following the rules, but because he believed in Jesus and he had that personal relationship with Jesus. He says, I know where you've been. It happened to me too. As you know, it was because of an illness, he went on to say, that I first preached the gospel to you. And some people think that he might have had uh, some problems with his eyes. Verse 14 says, Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcome me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. So, it's about that real relationship they had with Paul, that real relationship they had with God, which allowed them to care for someone that was struggling in life. There were incredible blessings of their mutual relationship with each other. But now, from what he'd heard, those blessings had changed. And he was concerned for them, that they no longer had this joy they, they were reacting to him because of his strong letter. They were reacting to him as an enemy, as a judge, rather than as a mentor and a pastor and a shepherd, which he'd always been to them, which they valued him for. But now they're saying, oh, he's judging us, he's correcting us. And they're reacting to him as an enemy. And so some of their joy in knowing Christ had gone. They were turning against the Lord, first of all, they're turning against the gospel of grace which they'd heard through Paul and they're also turning against the messenger of that gospel who was Paul himself. The, the, the apostle wanted to know whether the Galatians considered him as their enemy because he was speaking directly to them. He's trying to correct them. He's trying to encourage them to get back to that faith in Christ alone. So it's all based on this real relationship. And you know, um, I, I am thankful for people and pastors over the years that have said something very clear to me about my uh, walk with God, my example before others, and it's been in, in, done in a sense of love and correction, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, Cheryl and I attended a funeral on Friday for Reverend Dr. Stan Solomon. He has been one of my mentors over the years, and uh, on the odd occasion that we met, he would always have a word of wisdom or advice or concern, and... Uh, he would, he would hold no bars. He would tell me directly. 
if there was something that I was doing or something I was saying that um, created some issues for him as far as my walk with God. So I value those people. I value those people in the life of the church that have uh, come up to me and corrected me on some things that I might have said that were incorrect. But that's based on relationship, isn't it? And here Paul was struggling with the Galatian believers because he felt that they were putting this blockage in between Paul and his preaching and teaching from the past and their actions. So he was trying to get back to that place where they would listen to him because of their relationship, not because he was the, uh, the, the uh, teacher or the instructor. And the final thing that Paul was trying to do in this passage in particular was to show them what real religion was like, what real religion was like. Um, and certainly these verses, verse 13 and 14, um, he was not well. Like I said, some people think he had an eye issue and, and they um, cared for him during that time. But in reality, he was saying to them, you are doing to me exactly what Jesus told us to do to everybody. Matthew chapter 25, verse 35 to 40, Jesus says these words when he's trying to teach his disciples some truths. And verse 34, he says, uh, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Verse 35 says, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Jesus said, the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of these, least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So Jesus, so Paul had experienced the Galatians doing exactly that, what Jesus had taught from that story. But now they were shutting down a little bit, feeling as though they were quite distant in the way they were responding to Paul. And he goes on. What has happened to all your joy? Can I testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me? That's a bit gruesome, isn't it? But it wasn't the actual, the physical. It was a way, it was a terminology in in those days of saying, if you cared about somebody, that's what you'd do. You'd give your life for them. You'd, You'd do the utmost for them. So he was saying, that's how they treated Paul when they first met him. They saw that he wasn't well, but they did all they could to help him get well and in his ministry. It goes on. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? How do you react when somebody tells you the truth? Especially if it's done in a way of correcting you. Uh, sometimes we uh, fight. It's the fl- fight or flight syndrome, isn't it? You know, what are you doing telling me that? Or I just don't want to hear it anymore, so I'll run away. These people were responding to Paul's teaching and his pastoral heart by making him feel as though he was their enemy. And that's sad because all he was teaching them was the truth. And there are people today in our churches, in our community that have this question about what is truth. You know, uh, They have a new definition of what truth is. And we have to come back to what we know to be true from the word of God. 
And so when we try to declare the truth in any given situation, they'll become resistant or even reactionary to any words that we might say. We have to be aware that that's going to happen because uh, Jesus told us that, that people will not accept what we say. He's told us that they will not accept the truth that he has taught us. So we have to be ready for that. I wonder if somebody tells you the truth or if you're reading the truth in the word of God, what's your response to that? Will you put it into action? Will you feel critical? Will you feel criticised by it? Or will you do what God's word says? Galatians says, uh, in Galatians chapter no, verse 19, and uh, we're talking about this real religion and uh, Paul says in verse 17, those people are zealous to win you over but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, that's Paul and Barnabas and the others, so that you may be zealous for them. Again, the, the, these false teachers were saying, follow the rules, we will accept you. Even if Paul was saying, what they're saying is not true. Sadly, Paul goes on to say this, it's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good and to be so always and not just when I am with you. So, Paul's comment to the uh, Galatians believers was, live like you should all the time, not just when I'm with you. And I wonder if we need to take that on board, that God's word is true all the time, not just when we're amongst other believers, not just when the pastor comes to visit, it's true all the time and that's the way we should be living out life. He goes on, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So you can hear this pastor's heart, you can hear the shepherd's heart in the first part, in verse 19, there he goes on in verse 20. But he had always had good motives regarding the Galatian believers. And here he calls them his dear children. Because in a way, as the church planter, as the spiritual father, they were his spiritual children. And for him, having to write this letter felt as if he was going through childbirth all over again. That they'd given up on the truths that they first heard and now he has to reinforce those truths again. So sad to hear him write that letter. I wonder, I wonder if we have a responsibility of being spiritual parents for somebody, maybe it's someone who's come to faith in Christ through our influence, do we have that same burden as what Paul had? We have that same burden to see them grow in their faith and grow to maturity as followers of Jesus. I want to finish this morning with a couple of stories that might help us understand where Paul was coming from. One story is about an emperor of Japan uh, a few centuries ago. He commissioned a Japanese artist to paint a bird, to paint a bird, paint this picture of a bird. Months passed by, even a couple of years, and this guy was a fantastic, famous artist. Anyhow, the emperor went to the artist's studio and after a couple of years he said, how come that bird picture is not finished yet? He wanted an explanation. So the artist uh, set a blank canvas on the easel in front of him and, and in an hour, in an hour he painted the bird and it was a fantastic picture. It was a beautiful picture. It became the emperor's uh, favourite picture. But the emperor said, how long? How comes it took so long? So the artist got out all these other canvases and on one canvas he had feathers, another canvas he had tendons, another, another canvas he had feet, another canvas he had wings, another canvas he had heads. 
ahead. So he'd taken the time to paint each individual part before he painted the whole picture. And when he painted the whole picture, it was wonderful. And I think that the emperor in that story reminds us that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, God's working in our lives, one bit at a time. The end product will only happen when we are face-to-face with Jesus in the future. But he transforms us moment by moment. And you know this verse, I'm sure. Romans 8.29 For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many believers. So one day, the Bible tells us that we will be like Jesus. But it's going to take a while to get there. And he's working on bits at a time. And in uh, one of John's letters, he wrote this. Dear friends, now now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So one day, when Jesus returns, we are going to be like him. I wonder what that means to you and me. It means that he's working on us now, bit by bit. Another story was about an artist, who, a Christian man who was falsely accused of a crime. He went to prison and all that he was allowed to take with him was his brushes and paints as an artist. He wasn't given any canvas to work on. He felt extremely frustrated, first because he was imprisoned falsely, but secondly he was bored out of his brain. And one day in desperation he asked one of the guards, the prison guards, could he have a canvas to print on and so that he might paint something on? The prison guard didn't think much of his request, so he picked up a dirty old handkerchief and he said, use this. See what you can do with this soiled handkerchief. The artist who was a Christian, painted on this handkerchief his concept of the face of Jesus. And nobody knows what Jesus looked like, so he just painted what he thought Jesus might look like. He laboured on it, he painted it diligently. He thought he would show it, when it was finished, he thought he would show it to the person who gave him that handkerchief. And the impact of the painting was so great on that prison prison guard that that he, he welled up in tears. And he said, this painting is amazing. It became a famous painting as a result of that. So if one man can take an old soiled handkerchief and and make it glow with such loveliness and thoughtfulness about who Jesus is, what can God do with our lives when we surrender them to him? Our sinfulness, as we've heard this morning through the communion time, is sort of like those soiled rags, isn't it? It's sort of like those things that are not perfect and will only be perfect one day when we're with Jesus Perhaps uh, our lives don't have any spiritual beauty whatsoever. But Christ comes along and changes that. He changes us one thing at a time. And the final verse, in verse 20 of this passage, Paul says from verse 19, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. And you can see again that he was so concerned, so worried about them, they'd been distracted by this false teaching. He just wanted to be there and to emphasise the truth. He was concerned about them because of their spiritual condition. They were wandering from that truth that, that they had first received when they placed their faith in Jesus. I wonder about us today. Paul had a pure love for his ministry, for those that had been converted through his ministry. He loved those people. 
He wanted to see them grow in their faith. He knew that they were going to go through struggles as we all do. But he knew that, that, that the enemy that causes those struggles is a defeated enemy. And he wanted to remind the people that it wasn't just following the laws and the regulations. It was that relationship with Christ that makes spiritual freedom possible. So those three things I looked at in this passage that they'd relapsed into bondage and we've got to be careful that we just don't come to church on Sundays because it's the thing to do, it's a habit. We've got to be careful that we just don't have our Bible reading daily because it's a habit. It's got to be out of our relationship with God. That's what should drive us, that real relationship. And that in turn produces a real religion, not just a, a follow the rules type of religion. My prayer for us today is that we will live in the freedom knowing Christ knowing that freedom that he brings, which is not caught up in rules and regulations, that's legalism, but it's caught up in the relationship of walking with Jesus, talking with him every day, listening to his directions to us through his word, so that we won't get get, um, confused or distracted by things that we hear. That's what this real religion is about. It's that faith in Jesus alone. You can see the struggle that Paul was having, and, and he continues on the rest of chapter 4 too. But then when we get to chapter 5, he, he gives clear insights on how they should live out these truths. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the scriptures that we have and they record for us uh, the writings of Paul and they also show us, Lord, that, that uh, people are no different today than when they were in, in uh, Paul's time, that believers are no different today, that we get distracted and confused by new things that we hear or things that we see or are told about. Help us always, Lord, to come back to that simple, basic truth, faith in Christ alone, and that we won't be sidetracked by other things that draw our attention. Father, I pray that we'll uh, know what it is to be free in Christ rather than to be bound up in the rules and regulations. So, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for your word today. We pray that you'll strengthen us, enable us to live with you and for you in the days ahead. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.